Good morning, everybody. I'm going to read Hebrews 10, and this is going to be verses 36 through 39, just to start off today. Verse 36 says, For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are, not, are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Thanks, Christian. Good morning, you guys. Good to see you all. If you would turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 2 this morning. We're going to continue our study here. My eyes were closed for the majority of worship, so I'm just scanning to see everyone. It's good to see you guys. I'm glad they turned the lights on. I wouldn't have seen you. It's that time of year. It's that time of year. you got to have the lights on or it's just too dark. Let's begin in a place where you would all expect me to begin this chapter, and that is looking at the gospel through the lens of quantum mechanics. <laughs> course you expected just as much 1926 german physicist max born suggested that the heart of the new theory of quantum mechanics beats randomly and uncertainly as though suffering from arrhythmia to which albert einstein responded in a letter beautifully i am convinced just god does not play dice very pithy, but from the things that he said, I, I don't believe that Einstein was a follower of Jesus. In fact, his belief in God and his beliefs of what, who God was were kind of confusing to read throughout his lifetime. But I agree with the statement. I am absolutely 100% convinced that God doesn't play dice. In other words, this is what that means. He's not tossing a couple die around and allowing chance to dictate our lives. He's not throwing dice on the table and saying, well, wherever it lands, it lands, and that's where Mike's going today. He's not leaving my life to chance. He's not leaving your life to chance, and here's how we can know that with 100% certainty. The God of the universe loved his creation so much that it was part of his plan from the beginning to send his son to die on a Roman cross and to rise again from the grave on the third day to save us from our sin. Amen. That is our salvation. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And God didn't just happen to do it that way. He planned to do it that way. He didn't leave our fate to chance. He loves his creation so much that he took deliberate and premeditated action. Hardly the role of the dice. He ensured the authenticity of the statement Jesus made to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. You know these verses well, I hope. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God took premeditated, deliberate action to save us. And that's good news. That is the gospel truth. So yes, I think that we can learn something about the gospel by looking at quantum mechanics. I think we can learn something about the gospel by looking at this isn't mere chance that we are here together. I don't even believe that we are here by chance in this building this morning. I think God called us here together. 
And you're like, actually, my alarm went off on time, and that's why I'm here. That's what you think. I think that God brought us here together. He does what he does with a purpose. And we find out the depth of our belief in that, as Christians especially, um, when we can't make sense of what's happening in difficult times in our lives. When I can't make sense of what's happening, it starts to reveal to me just how much I trust God and his process. How much I trust that he is actually doing things deliberately because as the prophet Habakkuk is learning, sometimes it doesn't really make sense why God's doing what he's doing. Sometimes we can't make sense of how he's handling things in this world. Excuse me. Oh, oh, sorry, I did it wrong. There you go. That was for you. You guys, I don't know about you, but I've been pretty candid with God in the past when I'm not really understanding what he's doing. I hope that you are as well. Even when I'm really frustrated with not understanding, I hope that we are all equally candid with God that we go to him and we say to him, I don't get it. You got to give me some help here. I'm not processing this. What's really encouraging about reading through the scriptures is you not only get doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, as Paul told Timothy, but we also see examples of people's lives. We get living case studies to look at people who are going through these things, and we're like, wow, they're a lot like me, just like Habakkuk. Habakkuk struggled with the same things that we struggle with. How could God use the Babylonians to bring judgment on Israel when they're guilty of even more heinous sin? How does that work? And Habakkuk asks God, he's like, You're going to have to help me here. I don't get this. The prophet closed out chapter 1 with an illustration of the Babylonians being fishermen who swoop up all the nations of the earth with their net. They have a dragnet as they go through the waters and they're just scooping up everything. And when you think about it, how helpless are fish when we have a net in the water? It's not like they're down there, you know, cutting through the net. If you ever see a fish do that, please inform me. (laughs) That's really cool. Actually, they probably do exist because every time I hook a fish when I go fishing, they just cut free. Like it's, that's, I must be catching only the ones with little knives in their pockets. My sons are like, that's a lie. You never catch anything. (laughs) Anyway, it's a true story. Unless I go with Nathaniel, then I catch fish. (laughs) You're my lucky charm. Oh, we don't believe in luck. Dang it. Okay, anyway, so you guys hear Habakkuk. We see the Babylonians, I don't know, that whole tangent about fishing was nowhere in here. You guys, we see Habakkuk say, this is basically what they're doing. The whole world is helpless against the powers of the Babylonians. And he says, and this is why it bothers me. They worship the instruments they catch these fish, these nations with, because they're not being stopped. No one can stop them. He's like, God, how can you use them? They're, they're worshiping idols. They worship themselves, their own strength even. Who's going to stop them? And it begs the question that we ask all the time, are the wicked getting away with it? Are wicked people actually getting away with it? Is it actually better to follow the Lord and to go through all the suffering when it seems like the wicked have everything they want and they get away with it? Well, having, having spoken so boldly to God, Habakkuk now braces himself for God's response. Now he's kind of like bracing up like, oh boy. I told God what I really thought. I don't know if he can handle that. Aren't we funny? Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 5. Habakkuk finishes 
kind of his thought from the prior chapter, and then God gives a second answer. So beginning in verse 1, Habakkuk's still speaking. He says, now that he's spoken, now that he said all these things about the Babylonians, he says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch and see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. Now here's God's answer. The Lord answered me, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He's without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the people for himself. I love the beginning of this chapter, and I love that it's kind of where we start this morning, because it's like Habakkuk has said everything he's wanted to say, and now he's like, brace for impact. God's going God's to show up. Something's going to happen. Now, the word complaint here in the first verse he says what should i reply about my complaint it's a little bit stronger than complaint don't think about someone whining about something the word complaint here has some emphasis behind it in the original language it means reproof it means reproof or even reprimand in other words no wonder habakkuk standing at the watchtower waiting to see what god says because he's implying i just corrected god i just reproved him i just challenged him that's a scary thing. There's a lot of push behind what he's saying because he's saying, I reprimanded, I directed my reprimand at God. And he says, so I'm standing at the watchtower to see what will happen next. It's helpful, I think, to note that the Syriac translation preserves another text for the latter part of the verse, which is quite possibly the original reading. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what he will reply about my reproof of him. I think the Syriac has the idea right because of the words that are being used here. Ever been afraid of the thoughts you've thunk? Oh, the thoughts you can think. Have you ever been thought? Of, oh, now I'm going to mess it all up. I said it once right. Have you ever been afraid of the thoughts you've had? I hope so. You ever catch yourself thinking something you shouldn't have thunk? I just like saying thunk. Do you? Do you ever get a little afraid? Not even a sinful thing, but maybe even a disagreement with what God has said. You know it's not that way in the scripture, but you have you know, gone ahead and asserted yourself and said, I think what I know is strongly me a strong going to do what's right. Why else would I feel this way? I feel my feelings will never, ever. Ever wonder how God's going to respond to that attitude towards him when you express your feelings to him? <laughs> you guys... Standing up in the watchtower, Habakkuk is watching for God's response. And it's almost like when you know you're about to get shellacked. You know? You ever look at someone hesitate when they know they're going to get, you know, like he's like, all right, here it comes, waiting for it. Maybe there's some fear there about what God would say or do. But rather, notice this, church, rather than run like Jonah, rather than hide away, Habakkuk goes to the watchtower. And he's looking for God. He's looking for the Lord to respond. That's different than we've seen some other people handle this. 
I've spoken my reproof. I've given my reprimand to God. And yet he goes to the watchtower waiting for the response. There's some understanding of the heart and nature of God, I think, there. Knowing that God loves us and that I can speak these things, but longing for him to show me what's really happening. The position God's called him to as his messenger gives him this picture. And, and this, is, this is an illustration. I don't believe Habakkuk is literally standing on the wall here. It's an illustration of him watching and waiting for the Lord to respond to him. Watching for how the Lord will react. And he didn't run. Was he afraid, confused, dismayed, overwhelmed? Probably. He probably felt a number of those things. But we learned something here, church. There is no better place to be, regardless of what's coming, than to be in the position that God has stationed us at. If God has called you to, st- to something, to do something, or to a ministry, or has placed a calling on your life, hold your ground. Stand in that position. Don't run from it, even when things are really difficult or you're confused. Because God is the one who has put you there. And our understanding of the situation is not necessary. I don't need to understand what God's doing to stand at my post. I need to be faithful. Obeying God is hard. Following Jesus is hard. The Old, Te- Old and New Testament are filled with the stories of people struggling to be faithful and obedient. That's why it's so good for us to read the entire Bible. To look at the entire counsel of God and to see all these people throughout history that struggle just like we do. It wasn't easy for the men and women in the Old Testament to be faithful and to obey. It wasn't easy for the followers of Jesus, even when he was in human flesh, to walk with him. Want proof? I'm glad you asked. John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69, as Jesus had finished teaching a really simple teaching about people needing to eat his flesh and drink his blood. (laughs) You want to lose followers pretty quick? Freak them out. But Jesus teaches something that's very important for us to understand in the prior verses, but the teaching was so hardcore and powerful that thousands got saved. That's not what it says. I fooled you. It says this in verse 68. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. This is picking up in verse 66. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't want to go away too, do you? It was so bad at this point of Jesus's ministry that he turns and looks at the 12 and says, you too? Everyone else is gone. It's just us. You know, we give Peter so much crud, but he does the right thing. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else am I going to go? Peter responds, where else am I going to go? Just a note, as a pastor, why do we think that when our churches grow in number that they're healthy? So many guys talk about wanting to have the power of Jesus at work in their ministry. And I think of John 6. Do you? Do you want the power to chase everyone away except your true disciples? Except the ones who are actually walking with Jesus? Do you think that success in your ministry is the money or the people? Or is it the faithfulness and the obedience that God has called you to have? 
Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that healthy churches will grow, but I believe that they will grow healthily and not abnormally. There's a lot that I could say to this, but it just strikes me as a leadership person in a church, as someone who has a pastoral calling, that so often I need to remember that Jesus was not very popular. That Jesus preached such difficult truth that people left. And that that's okay. I don't want you guys to leave. But let me say this, church. If people leave, let it be for the truth. Let it be because we stick to the truth. We stick to the scriptures and to what the word of God says, no matter what he calls us to do. If Jesus called me to walk with him, to fulfill his purpose, the purpose he created me for, then I need to continue to show up and do just that. And so do you. We need to continue showing up for what he has called us to be faithful to. Just like Peter, just like Habakkuk, we have to agree with this statement. Where else am I going to go? Where else am we, are we going to go that's going to be better than being with the Lord? He is the word of life and our only hope and every footstep we take in the direction that's difficult, despite our understanding, builds our faith. Church, don't miss that. Every step we take in the direction God has called us to go, regardless of our understanding, will build our faith. Wearsby said it so well, when you behold the glory of God and believe the word of God, it gives you faith to accept the will of God. When you behold it, when you believe it, it gives you the faith to accept it, regardless if you understand it. That's my spin. Habakkuk isn't running away. He goes back up to the tower, the picture he uses to describe his posture, and he waits for the Lord to respond. And what do you know? Here's what the Lord says. The Lord answered me, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. There's a few takes on this text, on this statement. If you read it in different versions, different translations, the CSB here translates precisely what the text means. Write it down so it can be clearly read. But there's something else here that's worth noting. In the King James and ESV, they both translate the sentence as, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So that he may run who reads it. Now, some scholars have suggested that means that as you run by, it's so clearly written that you could see it, you know, like a billboard. As you run by it, right? You like my whoosh sound? Make it plain on tablets. Right? But notice how this, this phrasing works. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Not he may read it who is running. Here's the idea. The true sense is so legible. This needs to be so easily understood that you not only read it and understand it, but whoever reads it may run to tell all whom he can of the news. Why is that important? Because Habakkuk's calling is to be God's messenger. Write this down so clearly that whoever reads it can go and speak the word of God, can, if you will, prophesy, can speak and tell people what God has said will happen. 
the vision God is about to give Habakkuk is at first glance pointing towards the end of his people's captivity in Babylon. Because he's told him in chapter 1, the Babylonians are the ones who are going to come, and they're the ones who are going to take away Judah. And we know that that's exactly what happened. But God is not only promising Habakkuk, I have seen what they are, I'm going to deal with who they are, but there's something else here, you guys, and this is really, really cool. This is what many of us would call looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. There's a broader scope to what's happening here that the writer of Hebrews draws our attention to in that passage that I had Christian read over us to begin our time in Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning in verse 36, I want to look at the first two verses. We'll look at the other two later. But here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 through 37, we read this. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Now we know from the, pro- the, the following two verses here that he's quoting directly from Habakkuk 2. But what's amazing is that Habakkuk in his understanding saw only the Babylonians in this prophecy. But what the writer of Hebrews unpacks for us by the power of the Holy Spirit is that this is actually telling us to look for Jesus. This is telling us to wait and not grow impatient in watching for Jesus. Quoting from Habakkuk 2, he expands to a deeper understanding of the text. Church, this is a beautiful teaching that was given to us by the prophet, revealed by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Though the coming of Jesus has delayed, wait for it. It will certainly come and not be late. The same thing that he encourages Habakkuk with, the writer of Hebrews says, Church, you need to remember and has delayed our king is coming soon impatience so many have and heaping up to themselves as paul tells timothy they have raised up teachers for themselves with itching ears who will speak to them the things that they want to hear and let us never ever allow that to happen here let us never allow it to happen here that we raise up teachers who just tell us what we want to hear but we need preachers and teachers who teach us the word of god who tells exactly what the scriptures say, no matter how difficult it is. And if God didn't hold back on Habakkuk, I don't expect him to hold back on us. He is going to take care of us. He is going to lead us. Do we trust him? Though the coming of Jesus has delayed for so long, it's not very long in God's eyes, is it? Is that a long wait for God? Is a couple thousand years any more than a blink of the eye for him? But for us, waiting five minutes for our macaroni and cheese is just killer. So worth the wait, though. You guys, though the coming of Jesus has delayed, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it won't be late. Don't grow weary in waiting. Don't grow weary in your patience. Just as God's people were encouraged in exile that their liberation and his judgment on the evil nation of Babylon was coming, so too we're reminded that we will not be here in exile forever. You won't be here forever. I don't know how many of you need to hear that this morning, but I have a feeling some of us really need to hear that. You aren't going to be in this this place forever. And I'm not talking about this church, even though this service will end eventually. What I'm talking about is the struggle you're in. You won't be in this forever. Don't grow weary. 
Continue. Keep going forward. Galatians 6, 9. It's one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible for me. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Now the Lord speaks to the Babylonians. The last two verses we're going to look at, beginning in verse 4. Look, God says, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. God sees who Babylon truly is. Church, God sees the wickedness of our world. He is not deaf to it. He is not blind to it. God recognizes the nation of Babylon inflated by ego without integrity. They're everything that Habakkuk said they were. Notice that God doesn't disagree with Habakkuk, nor does he explain to him just why he's doing what he's doing. Does that ever frustrate you? By the way, this is exactly how Jesus taught. You know, he would explain some things to his disciples, but it's interesting how in conversation people come go, so you ever wonder why like this is happening over here? And Jesus is like, you have a heart problem. Isn't that funny? That's how Jesus handles stuff. That's how God handles stuff. He's like, let's get to the heart of the issue and we'll fix a lot of the other things. We'll fix the problem if we get to the heart. It's not that he never explains. It's that his explanation is not required. The nation of Babylon, wicked sinful people throughout the ages, pride not only puffs people up, but notice what else it does to them. Did you catch this in the text? Notice in verse 5, an arrogant man is never at rest. An arrogant man is never at rest. Interesting. The idea that's happening here is that the arrogant man lacks contentment. He's lacking contentment. He's never satisfied. What an important verse for us to address. I don't know about you guys, but I am not getting an A plus in contentment. In fact, a lot of times I'm failing the course. Why? You can say it. It's pride. It's arrogant pride. Pride is the reason why we fail the contentment course. The inflation of our ego, the lack of integrity, brings restlessness. How many times have we chosen work? Or even recreation instead of rest. Because we always feel the need to do something more. How many times do we value just rest? It's interesting. My wife and I have been talking about this a lot lately. Because we have noticed that every year our vacations get more draining. You know, you take a vacation. You ever been so exhausted from a vacation you can't wait? Amy feels me right now. You're so exhausted from a vacation that you just want to go back to work to get some rest. You come back like, boy, I can't believe how exhausting that was. It is good to be back at work. (laughs) Why is that? Because, frankly, we suck at rest. That's right. Write that one down. 
You guys, in our society, in our Western society, we value not only work and, and what we get through our work, but we value recreation so much that we never truly rest. We don't actually, and I'm talking about it from mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical rest. And people are like, rest is for wimps. No, it's for people who want to live. God created us to literally sleep a third of our lives away. You're like, what a waste of time. I don't need all this sleep. Yes, you do. You die without it. Okay? You die without it. And then what's crazy about this is we're like, okay, so what we're going to do is because I don't get enough recreation, I'm going to actually sub in some recreation for sleep, and somehow I'm going to be better. It's arrogance. You're like, oh, it's not arrogance. I just want to have fun. Who's that about? Me. It's about me. Do we understand that arrogance and pride strip us of rest? You know, it's interesting how you read a text like this, and sometimes we're reading it, and we're like, what? I never thought of that. If we want rest, truly want rest, it will be found in faith. And do you know what faith enables us to do? It doesn't tell us to stop working. <laughs> You're like, I'm calling in tomorrow. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not, you made a commitment, show up to work. But here's the thing. Faith enables us to rest in the fact that God's in control, that I don't need to be everything to everyone, that I don't have to run around proving that I can do this or that or the other thing. Like We're supposed to be an example. Yeah, and God gave us a day to rest. Are you setting that example? You know, here in the non-denominational world, I came from Calvary Chapel. I'll say this, in my upbringing, we did not value rest at all. We value beating people into the ground. When they die, we get new volunteers. I'm serious. That's what I've seen. How often do we celebrate a day of rest and say, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to go rest today. Can I take a nap? Sure. Can I pray? Of course. Can I go chop wood? No. Just rest. You guys, those who trust in God, who have faith in God, have peace. They have peace in his righteousness and what he's doing. We walk in his ways. And God set the example for us. On the seventh day, he did what? He rested. Church. Aren't you appointment this afternoon? I like to give you guys assignments. You know this. You're going to like this one. Why don't you go take a nap? You're like, oh, heresy. No. Biblical truth. Rest is good. Rest your bodies. Rest your mind. Maybe the next day off that you have, that you have that big plan of recreation that's going to wear you out and make you wish for work to get rest, maybe you should just rest instead. You ever take a family nap? We did when our kids were little. Kids are little. You love nap time. Why? Because I get to sleep too. Kids go down for a nap. Yes! They wake up too early. More Benadryl. But here's the thing. If you... I never did that, but you guys, <laughs> okay, so the reason I tell jokes like that, first of all, complete joke, right, babe? Second of all, second of all, some of the parents' heads in this room went, does he know? I don't know. He did see us in the store that one day. You guys, the writer of Hebrews draws us into this understanding as we understand that God has called us to be a people 
who rest in him, who walk by faith. The writer of Hebrews continues. This is why that passage in Hebrews 10 is so powerful. He continues in verses 38 through 39 and expounds even more on the text from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 especially. He says this, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But, the writer of Hebrews says, we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. He says, believers, Christians, if you're listening to me, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he says this, we are not those who draw back and away from God and are destroyed. We are those who have faith and are saved. We are those who walk by faith. We are those whose righteousness will be lived out in faith. We cannot forget that we are saved by faith. We are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. We are not justified by our actions, our words, our thoughts, our insanely good looks. Not one chuckle. <laughs> like, really? My insanely good looks aren't? Anyway. You guys, we're justified by our faith in Jesus. That's good news. It's his completed work. Christ's completed work on the cross and his resurrection. Jesus is alive, therefore we are alive. I'm going to read this over as church. We need this so desperately to remember this on a daily basis when we talk about our faith and about how much we work and we recreate, we just wear ourselves out. Please hear this through the lens of the rest of God. Therefore, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You could preach for a year on those five verses and not run out of material. What a powerful reminder of how we are justified as sinners in God's eyes through faith in Jesus Christ. Church, It's been said that faith is not believing in spite of evidence. It's obeying in spite of consequence, resting on God's faithfulness. Faith is not believing in spite of evidence. It's obeying in spite of consequence, resting on God's faithfulness. God has proven to us why we should trust him. And no matter what the consequences are, we ought to walk with him. Verse 5 in this text is kind of the opposite of everything that we want to be. We want to be the righteous who will live by faith, trusting in God, following his leading. Verse 5 is everything we don't want to be. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, like death. He's never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples to himself. He's describing Babylon. He's describing not only Babylon, but so many nations of the world that we've seen. He's describing so many people that we see now who are walking in their wickedness. Church, God may use corrupt kingdoms, but he does not endorse them. He judges them. 
He reveals who they truly are, and all nations are accountable to God's justice. No one is getting away with it. Nobody's getting away with it. These kingdoms of humanity are everything we don't want to be. And if we want to be like Jesus, we need to speak the truth in love, and we need to be people who recognize that sometimes we don't know why God is doing what he's doing, but it's our calling to show up. It's our calling to be there, ready to do what he asks us to do because he is the potter and we are the clay. Means that to be righteous, we have to live by our faith in Jesus because that's the direct contrast to the way of the world. Worship team, would you guys come on up? I want to read a passage of scripture as we close. felt the need this morning just to kind of share with you guys and read over you chunks of scripture because these are sections of the Bible that are speaking directly to us. And I want to read Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 over you. And this won't be on the screen. What I'd rather have you do is, would you close your eyes with me? And in a posture of peacefulness of heart, rest in our minds, Lord, would you clear out distraction? Would you quiet the voice inside of our mind? You can do this. And we trust you to do it. So that we can hear this scripture read over us. And we can truly understand in a refreshing way what you're asking us to do. This is from Paul's writing to the letter, or to the Philippian church in his letter to them. And in chapter 2, verse 5, he says this. With every eye closed and our heads bowed. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Who existing in the form of God. Did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. By assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is the God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God, as we read those words this morning as we seek to let the seed of your word take root in our hearts. You are working in us both to will and to work according to your good purpose. And so Lord, I ask as we respond in songs because we praise you Lord, that you would stir our sing your praise. You have done something in us that's 
that no, no one else could ever have done. You have cleansed us of our sin. You have justified us. Jesus, through your sacrifice on the cross, and it's by believing in you that we are saved. It's in putting our hope and everything that we are in your hands that we're saved. And so, Lord, we thank you for the lessons of Habakkuk. We thank you that we can see not only the prophet calling us to stand at the watchtower and to wait and to listen for what you have to say, but God, you yourself teaching us from the Scriptures, reminding us that the just, Lord, the the righteous will live by his faith. It's not what it seems in this world. So much of what's going on in the world is not what it looks like. Because you are sovereign. You are still getting your will done. You are still getting glory. So Lord, we just ask that you adjust our lives to agree with that. Lord, that we would be synchronized with your heart and father as we sing your praises we just want to enjoy being here in your presence and so would you be glorified in our song in the words that we sing to you let's take a moment let's just keep our heads bowed our eyes closed let's just listen for the lord and then we'll sing together